Warning, this 10th installment of Spire Can Review podcast, Spawn Marathon, will contain adult language, mature situations, a villain who has a very familiar plan, beautiful Russian agents, secret bases hidden in Egyptian cities, the most popular henchman to date, and a more serious main character. Listener discretion is advised. Sparkin Motion Picture Review, James Bond, 007, The Spy Who Loved Me. Hello everyone and welcome to a very special episode of the Sparkin Review Podcast. I'm your host, Zan, saying konnichiwa, aloha, bonjourno, and what's up? Hey, it's Greta. And yes, we are back again for another fun-filled episode of this podcast, and more importantly, in our 10th installment of our Bondothon, a.k.a. the James Bond Marathon. We're talking about all the James Bond films that were released by Eon leading up to No Time to Die, which is coming out in April. So we are just about almost at the halfway mark. We have three more episodes and we'll be at halfway exactly because it's 22 episodes released and we're in episode 10 of this little expedition. So how's it been so far? It's been dynamic. I love that James Bond has taken over my life now, and I constantly hear dum 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 just out of nowhere. That is very cool. And also, we've seen him evolve over time. It's from him starting in that casino saying, the name's Bond, James Bond, in response to Sylvia Trench, up to where he's at now. He has changed over time. It's not just because he has a different actor. It's just the whole franchise has changed and a lot of memes have come out about. And this one's no exception because this one is the start of a new kind of era for James Bond because things have changed. But let's get to it, shall we? Because this one is one that was based off of a series of short novels that Ian Fleming wrote called The Spy Who Loved Me. And it's the 10th book in the series and it was written in 1962 and it's very different because it's a first-person uh, novel about a girl who falls in love with James Bond later on, but she sees a murder. It's all this. This movie has nothing to do with that. It is completely different. <laughs> they kind of said, oh, we're going to do our things, but this is a movie. But we like the title, so we're keeping it. And also, this was plagued with problems because this is directed by a new director, Lewis Gilbert, who took over for Guy Hamilton, because Guy Hamilton got offered a very lucrative opportunity. He was supposed to be working with a certain actor named Christopher Reeves on a new film which was coming out, which they said that would make a man fly. Ooh. However, if you know what we were talking about, unfortunately, he failed and lost that and ended up working with Richard Donner. But that's neither here nor there. And they went and changed to Lewis Gilbert, who we talked about, and they picked him. However, there were some other things going on behind the scenes as well. Now, this film is produced once again by Albert R. Broccoli. However, guess who is gone? Saltzman. He's officially checked his cash his check and he is gone. He's no longer working with Broccoli. He sold all of his profits, so he is no longer a part of the Bond franchise from this point on. He could become his own Bond villain. By selling his section off and going away and doing whatever he wants. However, he sold it for £20 million. That's not a bad deal in 75. And he's branched out and done several things which have been kind of, well, let's just say he's become very unsuccessful because of this. Kind of a shame. Maybe he should have stuck with the bond. Dare we say it's a curse? Uh, maybe. I don't know. If you drop out of the Bond films, you have no success. That's not true. Well, if you leave horribly. Also, someone who would have directed this film, if it, if Lewis Gilbert did not take it, was Steven Spielberg. Interesting. Could you see a Spielberg-Bond movie? It would have been kind of weird. A little weird, a little crazy. And, uh, how could we... What could we explain about this film? Uh... Like, so it's based off of that story, and it's a little different. It's got a great cast in it. 
And this cast introduces a lot of familiar characters. And one thing which is bad about this movie is that the plot is very similar to another Bond movie. It's very similar. However, this one is the first one to do it, so you can't say it's a copy. But it's a little more... It's going to be copied. Yes. And, well, anyway, let's get to some of the actors now starring in this film besides the absurd amount of background characters. Now, as we start with talking about our actors, let's start with an unsung hero. Someone who you would never expect. We're talking about Viktor Torjansky. Now, Viktor Torjansky is special because he is the assistant director for the location shoots in Italy. And he shows up in this, and he's got a pretty cool role. It's just a sight gag. He is sitting on the beach, drinking wine, when a really cool car, the Lotus, drives up onto the beach. And then he stops and looks at the wine. Like, huh? Like... Oh, wow, this is strong wine. I'm seeing things because no car can just come out of the ocean and drive on land. That's kind of cool that he shows up, you know? A little cameo. Yes. Another character that is a cameoing is George Baker, who's playing Captain Benson. He's a, a British naval officer who's at the Royal Navy's Fastland Naval Base. And he showed up previously on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Kind of a little flashback to him. You also have Robert Brown as Vice Admiral Hargrave. And he is special because, not because he's playing the Vice Admiral. However, he is going to be succeeding Bernard Lee as M in an upcoming film. He's the next Ooh. M. So you wonder if he's actually M because it's this guy. So he's going to be the next one. It's not going to be like, oh, we replaced this guy randomly. It's, no, you actually see this character is going to become the next M. He gets promoted, if you will. That's kind of cool. I like that. Well, Lois Maxwell is back as... Many Penny! And this one, she's... uh, It's kind of weird, because she just randomly shows up in Egypt. Just poof. No, she's not randomly. She's in the office in Egypt. Which, with her desk, just the exact same desk that should have been in England, but magically it's in... Yeah. Okay. What I like is, too, she doesn't believe any of the stuff that James tells her. No, she does not. You have uh, Walter Gotell playing General Gogol, who is the head of the KGB. And he w- he was previously in From Russia with Love, and he is um, playing a different character, the gypsy leader. And he's actually going to be reprising General Gogol in the next couple of films, which is kind of cool, because now it's this sets up... Uh, cooperation between MI6 and uh, the KGB, kind of starting the beginning of the uh, end of the Cold War a little bit. It's thawing. Yes. You have Desmond Llewellyn back as Major Boothroy, a.k.a. Q. They actually use his name again, which is kind of cool. The person who says it is one of the main characters, and that was kind of cool. Yes. That's not cute. It's like, oh, you're the famous Major Boothroy. And he's like, ah, you know me. Uh, Bernard Lee is back as M. You have uh, Jeffrey Keane as Frederick Gray, who is the British Minister of Defense. He's going to show up in the next couple of films, kind of as a thorn in uh, our hero's side. Kind of a pencil push. How would you describe him? Pencil pushing or mean or... He, he's more of that... Um annoying boss that has to hold everybody accountable like he doesn't let you slide for a better end result he's like no you wreck the car then you need to find five fifty thousand dollars in the budget yeah he's he is the so yeah i guess pencil pusher yeah a bit part of bureaucracy i think uh next you have one of the big bond girls we're talking about caroline moreau who is voice dubbed by not our usual voice number. This is Barbara Jafford who's dubbing her over. Why do they dub over these girls? They always do. And this is Naomi. And she is a would-be assassin and a pilot. And how she goes is kind of funny. <laughs> you have um, now arguably the most popular uh, henchman, according to fans. Someone who gets not one but two movies. Talking about Richard Keel. Now, if you've never seen Richard Keel, you might know him from a movie called Happy Gilmore, where he plays a big burly guy who has a screw in his head, because Happy shot him in the head, and then at the end he beats up Shooter McGavin. But 
you might know him in other roles. He was entangled as a voice actor. He was in Cannibal Run working with Roger Moore again. But we know him here as... Jaws! A big, burly, indestructible juggernaut of a henchman who doesn't talk but has big teeth and kind of... Before grills were a thing, there was Jaws. And it's like... Um, it looks like the top of a castle where it's jagged. They don't look like teeth. They fit together. And... They're square. They're huge. And he just goes to smile and it's just massive. And then you don't really know, like in the fight scenes and stuff like that, you don't really know how much of him is made out of metal, if it's just his mouth or if it's his jaw. Because when people go to punch him and stuff, they get hurt and he just stands there like, are you done yet? Can I clobber you? But he does. His whole thing is he will grab you and then he bites his tongue like almost like a vampire and then you die. Yeah, he bites your neck and you die. And he's very intimidating and just... He bites a lot of things. He's large. He's a gigantic man. He's at least a foot taller than James Bond. And James Bond is not tiny. So it's it's like he's a very... He has a presence, but he's not just tall. He's not huge. He's just like a gigantic no, he's, person. He's, he's ginormous. He's seven feet tall. So no, he's... but it's not like he's... Like five thousand pounds, either. Like he's thin. He's gaunt. He's thin. He's, he's not that thin. He's got a muscle. little bit of mass to him. Like he's formidable. He's a good henchman that you get, and he doesn't say a thing. No, he does not. And he's working in the employ of our main villain, Kurd Jurgens, or he's billed as Kurt Jurgens, playing Carl Stronsberg, who originally was going to be. A certain person from Spectre, except that the license for Spectre got split during this whole divorce between Broccoli and Statsford. So, ah. so because of that, they had to make up a new villain, and this villain is Carl Stromsberg, who is kind inspired of in- by some of the villains of. At least his wardrobe is inspired by Spectre. Yes, he's a, he's like a mixture of Blofeld and um, uh, what's his name, uh, Largo. Yeah. He's very charismatic, very quiet, does his dirty work via a control box, and doesn't really do much. His plan is kind of ingenious and kind of insane at the same time. He's also incredibly cultured and very in control. Yes, and he is formidable in his obsession with the fishes. All the fishes, which is really weird. And Finally, let's talk about the main Bond girl, Barbara Bach, who originally was supposed to be Kathleen Deneuve, but she dropped out, and they had a couple other people, but it ended up being Barbara Bach, because they offered a pittance of what Kathleen Deneuve wanted. She wanted $4 million. Like I said, yeah, no, we'll give you a fifth of that. So, end up on this girl. And she only had four days before principal photography shot it, that chart started because she had to be like because she was hired at the last minute and she was originally supposed to be just a background character so it's like hey you got promoted good luck she didn't have time to get her hair done or anything but she does a good job playing uh, Anya Amasova or Agent Triple X yes she does she doesn't she's not super charismatic but she does sneak up on you a little bit she's a decent um, she's great hair. She's a decent. And then finally, we have Roger Moore returning as James Bond. However, here is something interesting about this version of James Bond. This is not a different James Bond. This isn't the James Bond who seemed to be a comical parody of Sean Connery. This is Roger Moore coming yeah, into he, his own. This is he is his own Bond. This is a Bond who is charismatic and charming, yes, but also he is ruthless. He will kill somebody if he needs to. He will ch- pretend to charm you, but in a second's turn, he'll snap and kill you like that. Like for him, it's not really... I mean, he does have his way with quite a few women, but he, it's not about the sleeping with women. It's like, yeah, sure, let's go for it, but I'm going to have to kill you afterwards. He's, he has an agenda. Yeah. And he does not shy away from it. He's similar... Did I say workaholic? Yes, workaholic is a good example of this. He also is someone who it's sim- he's similar to how James Bond was in the beginning of Diamonds Are Forever. He's no longer 
like he pretends to be happy we go lucky but he's i gotta get the job done that's this that's what i do you know i can flirt i can do stuff but no but it ends up being all about the job yeah so this is the beginning of him being a workaholic as you said and this film is different because the premise is that two nuclear submarines disappear one from the british side and one from the soviet side and they're both kind of confused, blaming each other, saying, you stole it. No, you stole it. But there is a unique trajectory that um, was very similar to what was found. Now, in order to get the information, they end up sending James Bond to Austria to pick it up. Meets a girl, starts making out. With As her, James Bond does. Gets the, the film and he leaves. And immediately as he f- leaves, the girl turns on him, tells him that he's leaving and she's setting him up. To be killed by a bunch of Soviet agents. Now, on the Soviet side, you had Major Anya Amastova with her boyfriend, who he's going to Austria to take care of something. And at first, it leads you that they're calling Agent Triple X, who's like their best agent, and you think it's the guy. But, but no, it's the girl. And this guy may end up running into James Bond because it seems like she's madly in love with this person. She shows up for her briefing, and they tell her that. Her boyfriend is dead. They don't know who killed her, but he died. She, he died in Austria, and she's a little... She's very hurt by this, but the mission comes first. That's how it's going to go. Everybody's a workaholic in this movie. And they end up being sent to... There's a person who says that he has the information on what tracked the submarines. Apparently there is a, a computer system that can track it, and someone is willing to sell the plans. On microfilm, but it's in Egypt, so you have this whole uh, today tap between Triple uh, X and Bond because they're both rivals for this this microfilm. They keep showing up and kind of say, "Oh, it's you! It's no, it's you! Well, it's gonna be mine! No, it's gonna be mine!" And they try to get this microfilm through various agendas. However, they keep running into someone killing the people involved. Like everybody who's touched this microfilm. Ends up dead. And not by a creepy gay set of henchmen, but... No, it's Jaws kills them, and it's like not like little like, oh, you were shot. No, it's they're left bleeding in the middle of the street, or bleeding in a, a telephone booth. And they're going back and forth trying to discover it. And when they first discover it, it's cool because you see um, James is going to meet in... The middle of a what is it called? It's a it's a show in Egypt for the pyramids. Like there's a bunch of rows in front of the pyramids. Yeah, and they have all lights. the chairs, and it's like this. It's at night with the the. It starts with the sun setting behind the great pyramids of Giza, and then the lights come on, and there's like a voiceover announcer, and it's kind of like a diorama. Kind of these lights go on. They tell you a story in the history of Egypt, and it's. Really kind of cool. Definitely they don't do that now. but Because you, you see like a lot of American tourists there. So like, this must have been the thing back in the day, I guess. So they don't do that anymore. But it ends up leading to them interacting with each other, them meeting Jaws. And it's actually a very cool scene for how it's done. Because it's illuminated by the lights keep changing. So one minute the lights are on, then it goes black for a second, then the lights change. And things, they'll change for moments. Like they'll look, see a bad guy, he'll disappear. Yes. And then from there, they end up going to a club because on the dead body, they find his address book and it says that he's supposed to meet someone at 10 o'clock, meets the person. They both try to V for the... He's like, I know you are supposed to meet somebody. I am your appointment. He's like, oh, I didn't know there were two of you. Well, no problem. I'll have you bid for the for the information. Hold on, I have a phone call. They find out he's dead. The information's been st- st- stolen. And it's them trying to track down Jaws in a hilarious uh, chase where they sneak into his car. And then he hears them because, like, oh, we're being so secretive and sneaky. And he's listening to them knowing that they're there. And this shows that Jaws isn't just a hulking mass. He's actually very intelligent. Yeah. He just doesn't talk. And fun fact, Richard Keel said that the, the teeth, he hated them. He could only have them in his mouth for like a minute, a minute and a half because they hurt so much. Again, before they created the grill. Yeah, because these were like prosthetics that were very painful. Like dentures that fit over his teeth or something. Yes, but... They don't look very comfortable. 
No, they don't. When you see him, you think it's his real teeth. I know, because his mouth is shut and his head's so large anyway, and then he smiles. And it's like, oh, good God. This scary, scary monster has a metal mouth. But he's charming in his, his uh, suspenders and uh, nice dress shirt. Yes. And pants. So, after all this is said and done, Britain and the Soviet Union decide to pool their sources together and they're going to work together. In their secret base in Egypt, which is just randomly there in the middle of... And know, they both have secret bases randomly in Egypt. James Bond walks in and it's the Russian guy and he's like, not sure about what's going to happen. And then all of the British guys come out and he's like, oh, it's a joint effort. And this is when we said that they introduce... Um, they introduce uh, Major Boothroy. And it's funny because they keep one-upping each other. Because at one point, James gets the microfilm. And then she drugs him and steals the microfilm. But he took pictures of the microfilm. He's like, I already saw it. Here's something that you didn't notice. Because it's just in their nature to be like so like on their own and better than the other guy. And one step ahead. And, and that's a fun dynamic that I'd like to see in other Bond films. But I also you... like that they know each other's beverages and how they take it. And personal information about each other. Cause... And... Because when they first meet, they start introducing each other. And a fun little thing is that they're talking and he's like, oh, you're Agent X. You're picked up from uh, the Olympic team. This and that. And then she says, oh, you're, you're uh, Commander James Bond. Licensed to kill Agent 007 for MI6. Originally from the, the British Navy. And then when she talks about him being married. Yes, she says, uh, m- many lovers, but only married once to one Tracy. Yeah, that's enough. And... And it's not like a, oh, you don't need to know about that. It's a, that's a topic you don't talk about. Mm-hmm. It's like, first he's smiling, but when he brings up Tracy, it's, no. And I like that they kept that, this is the same bond as the last two. This is, and it's, and Tracy is something which is like, no. It's, it's off limits. Like, everything's on limits until you get there, and then it's done. Which I do like that they kept that that. It's like, yes, he flirts with the girls, yes, he's in love with the girls, but there will never be another Tracy. Yes. And uh, after all their, their going back and forth, they discover the, the secret, which is that the person who is responsible for these thefts is a shipping tycoon and... Uh, I forgot the word for fish scientist, but he's a, he's a, a marine biologist, Carl Stromberg. I like fish scientists better. Yes. Yes, he's a marine biologist. But so they have on, to go scientist. talk to him, and they're going to pretend to be a marine biologist and a wife to meet him. And you see his secret base, which is a... Um, Looks like a metal spider in the middle of the ocean. I think that the Super Friends based the Legion of Doom, the Hall of Doom, after this, because it's like a super evil, menacing base in the middle of the ocean. And he meets them there uh, after a running with Jaws. They escape and they're told to be killed by... Well, oh, fun thing. One thing I gotta say about Stromberg that is definitely a little bit better than than Blofeld. In the beginning of the movie, two of his henchmen who worked on the project for him. One, he says, okay, we have a... Uh, they come in, I'm paying you each $10 million. But we have a mole. Someone leaked the information. Turns out that his... It was a girlfriend! Sorry. It was his girlfriend who was in the room. And it's not a, oh, I'm sorry, honey. No, he feeds her to sharks. And No, he feeds her to a shark. Who kills her. And then... And the two guys think they get off easy. They do. They're like, oh, we're fine, we're fine. And then they get in their helicopter, they fly away, and he blows up the helicopter. They're like, cancel transfer of, 10, of $20 million to the, these accounts. Tell their wives that they died at sea due to a freak accident. You're like... Wow. Like, that is evil. He's got the cool cool headquarters, and his uh, assistant, Naomi, is leading them around. And she knows something's up. They end up getting into a really cool chase sequence where they're driving, and his new Lotus Esprit. Esprit? Esprit? Yeah, the Esprit. He's driving the Esprit, which is the Q branch. It's an awesome white car. He's driving. Someone's trying to shoot him. Then they turn to the... They look outside the driver's side window, which in Britain it's the right side window. And they see a helicopter. And they see her. She smiles and waves at them. She winks at James Bond like, hey there. Wink. It's like, wink, I'm going to kill you and I'm going to be cute. And it's like, really? That's what you're doing? 
Okay. And then she ends up chasing their car off of a bridge. They're going to die. But then the Esprit turns into a submarine. No, it's it's not that it's like off of a bridge. It goes crashing into the water. The um, triple X starts to freak out. And then Bond switches a button. And then it turns into the cool submarine. It actually looks like a cooler submarine than it does a car. It does. And he ends up killing uh, killing Naomi. And then from there, it ends up getting kind of weird because they end up getting onto a... Well, first off, after this incident happens, they discover that um, one of Stromberg's boats had... that He said, oh, this is my newest boat and I released it seven years ago. Has never appeared in any harbor. So something's shady about that. And it... it it has a weird design to it that James just couldn't put his finger on. And through this interaction, they discover what's going on. However, Triple X also finds out that Bond killed her boyfriend. And she was starting to fall in love with him. So now it's the, I'm going to kill you when this is all over. I'm in it. And I will be your partner. We'll get the job done. But as soon as it's over. You're dead. And no one, and she like went from being really nice to him to being like, "This is a job, no flirty, flirty." Also, something we forgot to mention is that there is a scene in the beginning of this film that, when it was shown for the British family, Prince Charles actually stood up and clapped because the opening sequence is a ski fight. They're chasing James Bond on a ski. They're doing all this, and as he's skiing at the end, he ends up flying off of a cliff and he's falling to his death. As he's falling to his death, he hits a button, and out pops out a parachute with the Union Jack on it. And it's vi- and that's and then you hear the ba 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 ba. It's just a very British awesome scene, and they wanted to do it in on Her Majesty's Secret Service, but they didn't because of budget concerns. They didn't think they could do it, and this is before they could really do like drones. So any aerial stuff is a little bit harder to do. Uh, in the next film, when we talk about it, there's a whole sequence involving them actually shooting when they jump out of an airplane. And there may or may not be parachutes. And the film guy, they actually said, yeah, the film guy actually jumped out with them and he had all the equipment, so it was a little bit dangerous. It's like, uh, yeah, just a kind of tad bit. But that's the part that I like when James comes in and many pennies like, James, you're late. And he goes, I was, you know, she goes, what were you up to? He goes, I fell out of a helicopter without a parachute. And she you know, goes, right. He goes, you don't believe me, do you? Like, she it's goes, one time no. that he's not lying to her. He's like, um. And, then, and he doesn't lie to her at all during this. No, like, he just straight up tells her and she doesn't believe him at all. A little funny. Uh, but back to the current film, not the next film. So, from here, you find out the whole plan is that Stromberg is going to, the two... Uh, submarines he stole he is going to launch a nuclear missile from both of them one aimed towards new york one towards moscow and therefore he's going to start world war three and everybody's going to be killed however he has created a super secret base underwater besides his secret base because his hideout is atlantis which is the name of his big ship but then there's a whole city that he made underwater that's going to be populated with people and then which looks really kind of cool so he's going to do is he's going to go underwater Kill the world, and then they will survive under the water because they'll be safe. I don't think he thought about the fact that if he causes nuclear winter, that even the ocean will freeze and then he'll die. I don't think he thought this through, but... Yeah. So it gets into a very large fight where Triple X gets kidnapped by Stromberg and gets tied up because he's not stupid. He's like, he ties her up and says, yeah, you'll be prettier like this. And James is left on the... uh, boat which is called the La Paris with um, the his with uh, the the, yeah, the kid I know I'm babbling but the kidnapped uh, crews from both the Russian ship and the British Navy so those two ships are there plus the Americans are on there and then you have all of the people who are working for Stromberg so this leads to a very weird and crazy fight that they said like takes like five hours because it's really like they have to break into um the stromberg's uh minions headquarters 
because they like hold themselves off and say, "We'll control from here. We'll be fine. They can't break through there. There's like a bunch of inches of steel, and they get an idea of we're gonna take one of the nuclear warheads, remove the detonator without killing ourselves, and then we're gonna blow up the wall." And that scene, it's like, okay, it's like, yeah, how long is it gonna take? Like eight hours. It was like eight hours. What else are we gonna do? And you see them all like just purse. Like all... they're all like sweating, and they can't like James. Because, like, they start off, they're, like, they're clean-cut. They look like they just got in a fight, though. But then they're taking off this this missile, and it's, like, taking a while to do. And they have to be careful, because if it touches the side, they'll blow themselves up. So it's a little bit, um, a little dramatic, a little suspenseful. But they're, they're gonna die if they don't. Because they have to stop the two submarines, which have already been launched, to launch their missiles when they get to their points. So... They get there, they fight, and James ends up using his James Bond magic to actually read the manual and transmit two messages, change the coordinates to each of the other submarines' locations, so they blow each other up. And then he has to go to Atlantis, because the Pentagon is going to blow up this submarine uh, with the bad guys have, and blow up Atlantis. But James is able to convince them, listen, give me an hour. And then the cool thing is that he brings out the, another Q device... Instead of the little Nelly, instead of the jet Nelly, this is the wet Nelly. The, the jet ski Nelly. So it's another one of his little things. And he uses the jet ski to get on Atlantis. Goes up to seize Stromberg. And the funny part is Stromberg puts him in the elevator. It goes up. He's like... He, th- he thinks he opens a trap door. And it opens up and James is just standing there. And he's, he's looking very nonchalant. But they look at his legs. His legs are like sandwiched against... The size of the wall so it doesn't fall out. They have a little bit of a repartee, and the way that um, Stromberg dies is kind of dumb. It's not kind of dumb. It's like... It's because he takes a shot at James, and he misses. And then James, because it's like um, one of those long table gun things where they have the tube for the gun. So the bullet Right, doesn't... so they're on either side of this long dining room table. So James says something along the lines of... You had your shot. Now this is mine. And he put his tiny little gun up against the the soul. hole, but going the opposite direction, it shoots him and kills him. And it's kind of an unremarkable death. Like, oh, that's it. Like, oh, he died. Oh. Yeah. He ends up trying to save Anastasia. That while the the place is being shot and it's actually sinking, everything's gone to hell. Jaws shows up. They get into a fight. Jaws falls into the tank with the shark. He ends up biting the shark and escaping. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it ends with... Because, of course, Jaws just bites the shark, and then he's... That's funny, because they're fighting, and this shark is like this menacing evil shark, and you see Jaws do the whole thing like he does with all the other ones. Like, he holds it to the side and bites it, and this shark, like, runs away. Like, that shark would not have run away. He would have bitten him back, but... Anyway. Turns to a fight. Uh, Bond and Triple X end up in one of the escape pods because it was just a really. But it's like a beautiful escape pod with champagne chilling. And with like, it's like a fluffy chair. Like, this is the relaxing one. And I like that James is like, uh, at least he had good taste because he has like a very expensive. Uh, what is it? It's a. Bottle of champagne. Yeah, but it's a. Dom Perignon. The, no, it was the, the B one. The B one. It was the B champagne. Behringer. It was a Behringer champagne. And then as he's, he's looking at the bottle, she ends up pulling out her gun, pointing it at him. And it's and she's going to kill him. And instead of shooting him, she ends up shooting the top of the bottle of champagne. Yep. Which is very similar to in the last movie, you had Scaramanga when he first showed up early on, when, he, when Bond shows up on the island. You have Knick-Knack walking in there with his bottle of champagne, and then he shoots off the top, just be like, oh, I was just, I was just messing with you, because I'm so excited you're here. I'm happy you're here, even though I'm going to kill you in like 10 minutes. <laughs> yes. But it's like kind of like that, and then they end up hooking up. Um, then the best part is that you have both, you have the British, um, the guy we talked about who's the, uh, the pencil pusher, you have M, you have General Gorgor, all together. And, on and they're all boat. like the, the boat, the naval ship that's coming to save it opens the back tanker door, which helps, you know, when it pushes out the water, that's when water wants to rush in. So it helps pull in that escape pod and there's a little port window on it. They're like, let's see what they're up to. And everybody looks in and they see James and Triple X under the covers 
And then James just like stops and looks at them and pushes the button so the curtain goes down. And it's like, oh, James. And at first, if you just see like they're like triple X Bond, what are you doing? And he said, uh, "What is it? Establishing detente." <laughs> right. And this one is so. This one is very different than the other Bonds, as we said. The big thing, the big draw about this one is that you have that whole back and forth between Triple X and Bond. And that's what makes it really dynamic. Yes. It's not just, as you said, it's not just a, uh, it's not just a who's better. It's one upsmanship. Yes. It's. And that's for the first half of the film, which is really cool. The second half of the film does drag a bit because it gets very thunderbally with the underwater thing where the good guys are wearing a weird, obnoxious color. I think they're wearing orange and the bad guys are wearing blue, which is really weird because usually it's the reverse. It's usually blue is good and then uh, orange is... I just like that they all coordinated. No, at no point did they think... Except Bond. Bond is not coordinated with everybody. I just think, like, at no point did they think, maybe I'll take one of the other color jumpsuits and kill them all from the inside on the other side. But it works in that way. And you didn't think it would be funny and interesting. And it's actually a really good fight scene. And also, you get that suspense of, can they get through before these guys launch the nuclear missiles? And it does do the click... Click, click, click. Now, one thing is, this is, I think, the last movie for a while that we get him with the Walter PPK, I think, because in the next movie they change it to a new gimmick device. But he it's he uses the, the gun pretty good, and that's his gun. She uses a Smith & Wesson. Uh, and the special gadgets in this one, there's a couple. It's not as many as last time, but there's some decent ones. Well, the car is the big thing. The car is the big thing because they have the to sell that car. The Lotus that turns into a submarine that has like the it shoots tar out the back and landmines and has a magic everything to it. Like that's a massive trick. Yeah, and that car was purchased at an auction for six hundred and sixteen thousand pounds in two thousand thirteen. By guess who? Guess what millionaire? Elon Musk. Ah. He bought it because he wants to rebuild the machine and make it actually dual purpose. He's taking an ad out looking for Q to help him. Oh, God. So he's he's now going to become the next, oh, God, Elon Musk. But actually, after watching his new car, which looks like the stupidest thing ever, I don't know. I don't think this will work. However. It's cool. This film, it's very different from the other Bonds in some of the ways it was done. There are a lot of similarities, though. It's a big deal having a a co-agent. Yeah. This... You know, James has worked with girls before, you know, like, he's, you know, had friends in the CIA and things like that. But this is the first time there was, like, a co-agent. Well, you had um, the first, that was it Natalia? Natalia from, from Russia with Love, who was an agent, but she really played, she was, her thing was, I'm going to play the damsel in distress, yet Felix Leiter, but this is the first time that he had someone who was on par with him. But they worked together, and it, oh, even the movie opens up with both of them. They both have their own little intro. Yeah. Oh, also, something I forgot to complete to say, if I remember correctly. I just gotta look it up quick. Uh, where's Stromberg? Uh... Oh, yes. Fun fact about Stromberg that I completely forgot. He had webbed fingers. Interesting. Explains why he's obsessed with, with uh, fishes. Because he had webbed fingers? Because you had to have some sort of weird peculiarity with the villain. Well, actually, no. It's mainly the henchmen have the weird peculiarity, right? Yeah. Now, going on to the music. This is the first Bond film that does not have a theme song that is named after the title. Yeah, that was weird. This one is Nobody Does It Better. And the opening, it introduces one of the Bond elements that, while it could be fun, it gets old really quick. And we're talking about... Girls on Trampoline! 
I think somebody was like, let's have girls, hot girls, jump around on trampolines naked. And another guy was like, yes, let's do it. And so then they shot it in slow-mo. Yeah. That's how that decision happened. And it's, I don't know, it's just, it's such a weird scene. The opening, it's weird. The transition strange. They do keep the hourglass, which is now becoming a fixture. It's showing the hourglass. And I like the hourglass. They do get rid of the gun pointed at the James Bond name. That was only for a couple of films. Mm-hmm. Seems that Guy Hamilton liked doing that. And this one is, no, we're just going to have them flipping over. And it's a blue scheme with a bit of water. A couple of octopus thingies for uh, for Stromberg. What is it? In- Stromberg stripping? <laughs> uh, shipping? Something like that. Stromberg stripping. Oh, God, that'd be horrible. <laughs> No one wants to see that. Also, uh, there's also some other music from other films, like Lawrence of Arabia's theme is in there at one point because he ends up going to meet a contact in the middle of the desert. He looks like someone from Lawrence of Arabia, like he's a white guy in the middle of the desert with a harem around. And you're like, okay, this is kind of... Right? Yep. Just because... And then, uh, what is it, um, Stromberg, whenever you see him in his headquarters, he's listening to Bach. I think he's, uh, what is it, the air on the string, and then Mozart's piano concerto 21. So he's very mm-hmm. cultured. Unlike our next villain, who just seems a little, ah. No, our next villain's cultured, too. I don't, uh, he seems cultured in the way that, like, a guy who, who, who paid new money uh, cultured. No. Anyway. So, yeah. So, we talk about that. The gadgets we talk about. Uh, fight scenes are... Well, you actually see Roger Moore get into fights. Like, actually Roger Moore. Yeah. Choreographed fighting. The pun game in this one is toned down. However, the puns are still there. Yes. Uh... So, people who say that Roger Moore is the the worst or, like, the strangest James Bond, the most comical, you show them this film, and this film shows that he is a bit more, like, there's more to him than just puns and funny situations and gags. It's, he's... He does have a specific way of lifting up one eyebrow, right, when he's delivering an interesting, punny... Yes. ...hearty hard line. That I like. That's like signature Roger Moore. He looks a little older in this one. He is older in this one. But I mean, like, it's like how compared to um, some of the, like, Plenty O'Toole, Sean Connery looked super old. Like, it's like pervy almost. This is a little... They did not believe in sunscreen. Roger Moore also looks kind of older than his dates and his other Bond girls. And that's that's part of the whole thing is that... He's an aging... He's an James aging. Bond can get any woman. Well, he, he eventually will be a little bit... Um, what is the word? He'll get younger. Like like Doctor Who, he gets younger. Once he's Timothy Dalton, he'll be younger. But uh, also, his smoking game is on. He still smokes. Yes. Eventually, they do get rid of that. I think that was... Uh, well, we'll find out when he stops smoking. I think it's that's with... Um, uh, who was after Timothy Dalton? Um, Pierce Brosnan. When Pierce Brosnan comes, they get rid of the cigarette smoking, which is kind of a shame. But that's how it, that's how it goes. Different world, different era. So yeah, so I would have to give this a. Um, this is a really, really, really fucking cool, and it's actually an underrated Bond film that's really good. I really like it. I put it up there. It's it's just because it does so much for the character, and it shows that Roger Moore has range, and. Mm-hmm. Hold on, I'll pull up my list. Like, I'd put this as probably number three right now. A third best third best Bond film at this moment in time. And that's above Dr. No. I... I agree. I want to like Dr. No more. However, on the same token, we've said a lot of good things about Stromberg, but in reality... He is just a web-fingered carbon copy of so many other characters. 
He is a copy of Blofeld. You see a bit of Largo in him. You see a bit of Goldfinger in him because he loves fish instead of he loves gold. Yes. So for that reason, he's kind of at our bottom right now. He's not the lowest. That still belongs to Kleb. Kleb is still the worst. Yeah, but, and he's not, he didn't have a spectacular die. No, his death is he just is, sits he there. He gets shot. He gets shot and he falls in his chair and he doesn't do a self-destruct sequence, nothing crazy, just bleh. Now, as for villains, um, it's Jaws. He's still in the top three. And he says nothing. He says, similar to Objob, he says nothing. I'd love to see Jaws and Objob together. Well, if you play the GoldenEye from uh, Nintendo 64, you can play as as Oddjob and Dicknack. Or not Dicknack, and uh, Jaws. Now, that would be a that would be a triple threat: Jaws, um, Odd Job, and Knickknack. Yes, yeah, so large, you have small, medium, medium and large. Knickknack doing the talking for all of them. Yes. Hey, let me have all else. smartly dressed. Knickknack doing all the talking. Someone make that image. Make them do it. Oh something. yeah, that would be, that would be fanfic. And as for the songs, where do we put this? We have, uh, I put this... I put it low for the songs. It's like right above Three Blind Mice. No, it's better than that. I think it's a decent song. It's just, because it's, it's been used in so many films. Mr. and Mrs. Smith. It's, uh, nobody does it better. I put this kind of middle, it's above Diamonds Are Forever. Definitely above. I have Diamonds Are Forever above it. Okay, so I, so three, four. And for, well, so yeah. So I say it's uh, it's uh, really, really, really fucking cool, but it's a low, really, really, really fucking cool. Like, it's bordering on on Powerful Friend. I think the car is what makes it yeah, that's, that's cool the, for me. That is the, the temperament. However, I think that's it for this episode. Uh, yeah. Especially for other reasons as well, because... Right. <laughs> yep. So anyway, uh, thank you guys for listening. Uh, hope you guys enjoy. Stay tuned for tomorrow. We're going to be talking about the other Bond film that came out in this period, which is about a guy who, instead of wanting to go into the water, he wants to make a civilization in... Outer space! Yes. Space. Uh, space. Yes, space. Moonraker. So we'll talk to you guys later. I've been Zan. I'm Greta. We're gone, so we'll catch you guys next time. And keep watching movies. And remember, nobody does it better than us. Yes. the best it's bomb and beyond James Bond and the woman is major Masova Russian agent 
Let them get to shore and then kill them. Time's running out, Stromberg. Yours too, Mr. Bond. Yours too. It's the biggest. It's the best. It's Bond. And beyond. you a drink, Major Amasavan, or may I call you Triple X? So you know who I am? You made quite an impression. I'm sorry about Ivan and Boris. They exceeded their orders. Good stuff is hard to find these days. Yes, sir. The lady will have a Bacardi on the rocks. For the gentleman, vodka martini, shaken, not stirred. Touché. Commander James Bond, recruited to the British Secret Service from the Royal Navy, licensed to kill, and has done so on numerous occasions. Many lady friends, but married only once. Wife killed... All right, and... you've made your point. <laughs> 